This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom O'Flynn, CFO of AES, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 218. How is a finance leader? Are you driving This is episode 218. In this episode, we speak to Nitin Gupta, CFO of Molecular Imaging for Siemens Healthcare. So our interfaces, the people that we have had contact and relationships for years and years, um, are suddenly shifting. There are IDNs, integrated delivery networks being established, and when they procure, they procure um, equipment for 10, 20 hospitals together. But the IDNs are being, uh, they negotiate through the procurement department. So for us, the volume increases, but also the discussions are more tougher. Here are a complete interview with Nitin after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Nitin Gupta, the CFO of Molecular Imaging at Siemens. Prior to leading the Molecular Imaging uh, Finance function, Nitin was CFO of International Projects at Siemens, and he also served as CFO of Nokia. Nitin, welcome. Hi, Jack. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you uh, for joining us. Now, I approached uh, Neaton shortly after he stepped off the podium at a recent uh, CFO Rising conference where he had given a presentation on innovation management, and I knew uh, this audience would find his insights of great interest. And so we'll be asking Nitin to reflect on uh, the subject area and share some of his thinking on it. But first... As always, we want to learn something about our CFO guest. And Nitin, we found one of the best ways to do that is ask you to share some of the key career milestones that you personally feel prepared you to serve in a finance leadership role. What what would those have been? Oh, that, thanks for the question. Great question leading into um, basically my thinking behind uh, behind being a CFO. There have been a couple of milestones, uh, I think, in, in my career. Um, I've been working in, uh, in Siemens uh, for 23 years, 17 of which have been in telecom, and the most recent six have been in, in healthcare. And having lived in uh, India, in Europe, in uh, Italy, UK, US, and Germany, um, I think I've been, I've, I've had um, many diverse milestones, but some of the key ones was immediately after my graduation, uh, there was a choice uh, that I was faced with. Uh, the first choice was to join Siemens, 
um, in, uh, and the other choice was to continue further education in MBA. Um, and I decided to join Siemens because I believe that to do a thorough MBA and to, to get the most out of it, you need to have some working experience prior to doing the MBA. And I think that was, um, that was my first career uh, decision milestone as, 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 as you may call it. And after my MBA, um, uh, I was also, um, um, faced with another choice, whether to come back to Siemens or to go outside in different industries. And I chose basically to come back to Siemens because there I, I had the opportunity to implement um, uh, my thesis, which I developed in MBA over risk management and um, uh, into practical. So I could actually see how a theoretical project in a university can be applied in practical terms in real life. Yeah. So I think those were two key milestones which kept me with Siemens. And, and, and third, of course, is, you know, because of different geographies and over, over a period of 23 years, I've, I have had the opportunity to work on different business models and different corporate functions and operational responsibilities. I think um, all combined together, uh, gave me, uh, a very broad, uh, exposure to different situations in, in business life. And I think all together ties up very well with the fact that um, a CFO of today and tomorrow, it will be required to connect the dots, create the story, and then look into the numbers behind that. When you stepped into this latest role at Molecular Imaging, uh, what was the kind of job that, you know, this next step you wanted to take for yourself? What it, was it that you wanted to create? What kind of position? Um, I was looking actually for a, a, a challenge and, and a challenge in the sense that I can create an impact. It's not, a, it wasn't about how big the business is because normally, you know, people tend to think, uh, the career progress, uh, and they measure it according to the size of the business that they handle. I was actually thinking of, um, um, getting an opportunity where I can create an impact. And in short, uh, I was asked to decomplex a complex business, if that makes sense. Simplify it for for what was the uh, the purpose of that? So um, the current business that we that we manage uh, is a collection of five different very complex business models, and and they are held together under one roof or called molecular imaging. And, and the challenge here was to transform this business uh, into a more um, simplified structure, into a more efficient structure, and into a more sustainable and profitable structure. So um, uh, decomplexing non-related businesses under one roof, uh, which tend to go in different directions and then trying to pull them together into what the same direction was the biggest challenge that, that, that we have in this job today. Yeah. So let's find out a little bit about the, the market for these types of products or services. And having seen your uh, presentation, I'm aware that um, traditionally, anyway, your, your uh, customers often involve radiologists. A lot of the uh, high-powered scanning machines that we find in hospitals today. Absolutely. So we are into um, uh, imaging business. So we, we, we manufacture medical devices, which helps uh, radiologists or, or uh, specialized doctors to look inside the body, take images of different types of diseases, whether it could be cancer or other um, 
an uh, Alzheimer or prostate cancers and 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 look inside the body and basically get uh, get a clear diagnosis of the situation and then carry on prognosis basically. Yeah. So these are the machines that we make. These are high high end uh, technol technological machines, and um, and and are primarily used with uh, by the radiologists. Yeah. So let us understand a little bit about uh, what makes this finance function uh, unique from others in terms of what are the what are the key metrics that you really rely on to understand how the uh, imaging uh, molecular imaging group is performing. Um, to be to be honest, uh, I think the finance function is is um, is one function which can be quite similar across industries. That's my belief. I mean, having worked in telecom and and healthcare, I believe that the finance function in, in the telecom is the basic fundamentals are the same. Of course, uh, the application of the finance knowledge to those specific industries is where the difference lies. So um, in, in our specific medical device industry, it's a very niche, um, it, let me let me call it as a boutique market. Yeah, There are not too many competitors. There are three or four of us, um, maybe one or two coming up from China now. And, uh, and it's not a big market. We normally ship, uh, I mean, the market is about 900 to 1,000 units or 1,000 machines that we sell worldwide. And we are currently enjoying the market leadership, and therefore the the key metrics that I that I look at is number of shipments that we have every week. We'd like to ask, and and I know this uh, might segue to a larger discussion that we'll have. Uh, we'd like to ask about metrics uh, as far as how uh, the finance function today is trying to measure uh, customer interaction or customer. Uh, success. Mm -hmm. Are there uh, metrics that you rely on to do that today? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there are different levels of metrics. We have a complete, a uh, very detailed cockpit, which we which we get monthly on on the performances. Uh, uh, but some of the key metrics, which metrics which I look at, uh, definitely, as I said, number of units shipped, because that determines how the factory load is, and that determines also what kind of units are we shipping. Are they high end, which leads to high profitability, or low end, which leads to you know you just have to sell more in order to to come up with the right level of profitability. Uh, the other metrics that we look at uh, in terms of customer is uh, our uh, net promoter score. It's almost um, uh, it's almost like the um, how should I say the sales guys they live by it. Um, and uh, the other. Um, metric that we look at is contract renewal rate. So how many, how often does a contract get renewed and we are able to keep our socket or our install base with the customers. Uh, there is, of course, a shift towards, um, um, uh, as, as, we, as we go along, this uh, changes happening in the healthcare industry, especially in the U.S. with Obamacare, um, the revenue models of our customers are changing dramatically. Um, previously, they were being paid on a procedure. Uh, in future, they will be paid on the quality of care and the uh, and 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 the time spent for the patient. So, um, that changes dramatically the business models for uh, our customers, which most likely indirectly will also impact us. So, uh, we will we are evolving our metrics um, uh, accordingly. And one of the key metrics which comes out of this these discussion pieces is the total cost of ownership, 
what is the TCO for uh, our customer and which how can we help our customer to improve that TCO. So uh, those are the kind of metrics that are evolving right now. Well, you, you just touched upon it, so I didn't want to... Uh to go there first, but I need to would love to have you explain a little more about how that customer is changing. And I mentioned up front that um, your customers traditionally have been radiologists, but in fact, under Obamacare, that landscape is is going to shift uh, in the coming years. And maybe you can uh, share with us uh, when it comes to making investment decisions. Uh, what this means, and again, this is part of your your innovation management discussion that you had um, at CEO for Rising. But can you share with us some of what uh, the shifting landscape, the dynamics it creates? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the topics that I have uh, really at the core of almost uh, every discussion, every meeting that we have, either internally or externally with the customers. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it will shape up in the future because um, uh, it is still uh, evolving. Uh, but what I can share is definitely what we know. And 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 what we know today is that uh, for sure, the, the reimbursement to our hospitals, which are our customers, from um, will change. It's it's simple as that. Um, and, and to explain it simply, um, uh, today you go to uh, you 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 break your leg. Let's say you go to the doctor, you get a X-ray, you get the treatment, and the doctor bills it to the insurance company. No questions asked. If they are in the reimbursement code list, uh, the insurance company pays. Um, that's as simple as that. And and th- this is what happens today. Tomorrow. Uh, and when I say tomorrow means most likely 2018 um, or in the next couple of years, what will happen is um, the insurance company will only pay if the broken leg is completely repaired within a certain time and they and the patient does not have to come back to the hospital uh, for a second treatment because it was not done before. So imagine the pressure on the hospital of improving the quality of care and managing costs completely down. So with this dynamic and with this dramatic shift in their revenue streams, uh, what they are, uh, what they suddenly are doing is they are tightening their bells and they are trying to do group procurements. So what does that mean? That means the hospitals are, are consolidating as we see in the U.S. Um, there are IDNs, integrated delivery networks, being established. And when they procure, they procure um, equipment for 10, 20 hospitals together. So for us, the volume increases, but also the discussions are more tougher. And the other big change is, historically and traditionally, we, being a niche boutique market with a highly technological orientation in terms of our portfolio, we used to discuss our portfolio, our our um, offers with radiologists. Now, suddenly, the radiologists are fading away from the procurement decisions in the front line. They are, of course, they're in the back uh, back end, but the IDNs are being, uh, they negotiate through the procurement department. So our interfaces, the people that we have had contact and relationships for years and years, 
um, are suddenly shifting. Um, one more example which recently um, uh, we experienced is uh, the hospital, for example, yeah, the, the emergency department. Now, today how it works is everybody who approaches a, a, an emergency department ED is given a sort of color code and depending on the color code is treated, right? Depending on how urgent the situation is. Um, and, and most likely is also admitted there, uh, depending on the, on the situation. Uh, tomorrow what they are thinking is they are thinking of having a scanner machine already at the emergency department and scan the patient before deciding whether the admission to the hospital is required or not. So that itself is a big shift and that also gives us the opportunity to sell more devices, to be honest, to the hospitals to en enable them to, to cope up with these changing uh, requirements in the industry. So there's a lot of uh, shift happening, and as we speak, um, nobody knows what the final uh, model is, but it is evolving as we speak. How did finance in some ways educate your decision-making community? And by that, I mean certainly your engineering team, which has always had a, a powerful influence over uh, technology development and where to go next. Uh, how, how do you kind of educate the ecosystem? Um, absolutely an important um, question. We, uh, we in Siemens um, Healthcare, we, a couple of years ago, we started a project uh, um, basically focused on innovation management and what is the CFO's role in capital allocation. And as you can very well imagine, um, if you have... Um, uh, head of R&D who has been um, experienced for 30, 40 years in in in, in kind of hardcore technological uh, area, and he's had a lot of successes. And to have a discussion with him, it's it it needs to be based on certain facts and it needs to be based on certain structure. So what we developed is uh, we developed a framework to assess risk and returns out of the R&D investments. Basically, we implemented KPIs to review R&D investments from an investor's perspective, but in a very transparent manner. There were a lot of benefits that we that we uh, targeted to achieve, and which we which we have achieved over over the last three four years. And what the, what this framework does is it provides objective and structured approach to R&D allocations across different portfolios. It helps balances. The balances the innovation perspective, that is technological and clinical benefits that that we are known for, along with the financial merits for that particular investment. It also provides governance, processes, and a structured decision-making criteria on an individual project level. It facilitates fact-based discussions and decision-making, and of course, it harmonizes the R&D um, planning, so to say, across different uh, portfolios that we might have. So this is the kind of framework. And how it works is basically that we collect all the relevant information from uh, from a particular project in four categories. First one being the market, where we have um, KPIs like uh, R&D cost per different price segments that we have. Market attractiveness, which basically means how much R&D cost we do we need to spend in different uh, market size versus uh, where are the profit pools. Uh, it could be future revenue drivers, which segment of market is growing f faster. 
whether it's the high-end segment or now being, you know, when you have mass procurement, you basically need a machine which is um, which is being used for high volume rather than clinical research uh, uh, machines. So markets is a very important perspective that we need to have when we talk about investments. Um, the second category that we look at is projects. Projects basically meaning what is the level of innovation that we want to put into that project, whether it's um, equipment innovation versus serviceability innovation, or do we have uh, um, how, how deep we go into the design-to-cost projects versus um, uh, value proposition or increasing the price through the value propositions and so on. And then that leads me to the third category, which is the financials, and those are hardcore financial KPIs like risk return profile. For every dollar that I spend in R&D, how much dollar do I get in return? What is the, um, this was an interesting one, what is the hockey stickiness? You know, normally the hockey stick curves are where you invest up front and you get returns in the later uh, stage of the project. And we said, uh, we need to know how much time is required to generate 50% of the profit relative to the total life cycle. Capital lock-in period, uh, return on uh, investments or or uh, time to recover or to recover the investments and so on and so forth. And the fourth category was resources, which is basically where do you deploy your resources? High end, low, low end, uh, low cost in the, uh, countries or high, high cost countries because there are some of the core technologies which are absolutely available only in, in the US that we have because historically the, the physics and the core technology around our machines are based in, in, in Tennessee. So we, we, we have to go there for the core technologies and that, that is, that makes more sense. Um, number of people allocated to the project and so on and so forth. So these were the four categories that we developed and we developed a sort of data queue which generates fact-based structured cockpit and investment, investment profile on these four categories and generates 23 KPIs which helps us decide how to look at the investment proposal. One of the key uh, aspects of this is um, the risk assessment, and the CFO has the ownership of deciding what discount rate do you apply in the business case. And the discount rate is basically the working cost of capital plus the risk factor. And the risk factor comes from three different perspectives. New technologies, how big is the risk if you introduce a new technology, uh, operational uh, implementation of the innovation project, or what's the market risk? I mean, we might come up with a fantastic technology, but if there is no customer to buy it, then, then of course, or there's a disruption from a different startup, then of course, there's a huge market risk as well. So these three risk factors we uh, we do a thorough risk workshop with the, with all the key players and agree a discount rate, which we put it into our business case and then calculate the NPVs or discounted cash flow. So in short, um, the CFO at the end has the power to decide what discount rate to apply for a project and show the returns in a very very transparent and a fact based manner. 
Now, was this a framework you, you developed from the ground up, or was there pieces of it in place and you just uh, brought it together as one? Uh, this was absolutely de- uh, uh, developed uh, ground up in Siemens Healthcare, yeah. And over a period of how long did you uh, take to have it adopted or uh, implemented? Um, we developed the concept over a period of 12 to 18 months, and um, we had about 14 business units in, in healthcare. And within healthcare, I think the um, uh, we had two pilot units which we were running parallel with. And and then once uh, the concept was, was formalized, it took us another, I would say, uh, 18 months to, to, to do it. So over a period of three years, we adopted this approach. Yeah. Now, was it the, the business managers having buy-in to this, or was it uh, your finance team helping to uh, deploy it? Or? Uh, well, the finance team was helping to deploy it, but the business managers absolutely had, the, had to be uh, convinced before, which we did through uh, our um, – uh, there was a clear top management uh, sponsorship and mandate, and that, of course, has always supports. Um, and at the end, I think um, what was critical uh, in changing the mindset, because this also involves a lot of mindset and cultural thinking, um, was the fact that this was not just treated as a reporting tool. Uh, that is very important. This was not a reporting tool. This was a decision-making tool at the end of the day for the business managers to invest in a in a structured way to evaluate an investment decision and 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 stand by it actually it gave them more comfort knowing the facts in the structured manner and some of the cultural uh, rifts that may have been again uh, there was a tradition perhaps of your engineering teams making a lot of these decisions without without a framework or uh, traditional frameworks um i i wouldn't say um without a framework i think uh, there we have, we've always had the framework for our for our investment decisions it's just that because of the um uh, the the world changing so fast outside our traditional economy um i think the the traditional decision making models are are needs an upgrade to, to stay up with the speed of change that is happening outside. The images that our our uh, machines produce are normally a 2D image. Now, you can improve the pixels and you can see some things better. You can improve certain uh, quality, certain information in the images and so on. Um, but, there's a, uh, but there is a startup in, in Israel which takes the images that we generate Runs a runs a local software which is readily available and converts it into a 3D image, the Halo technology. And what the doctor can do actually is try and simulate a surgery using that software um, before actually taking the knife and and operating upon a patient. So, producing an image remains important. But the use of that image becomes even more attractive for the customer. So our our traditional innovation decision models would traditionally be focused on improving the quality of the image. But this new model would add on top of the traditional model also the the, the risk factor of are we using the image the right way. 
it basically forces uh, some of the aspects which are related to the changes happening externally into our decision-making process. Didn't we always like to ask uh, our guests for aha moments or those moments of strategic insight that finance leaders are uniquely uh, positioned to have given their visibility into the business? Um, it would be interesting to get one maybe from earlier in your career. What, what would you share with us? My previous life uh, in Nokia Siemens Networks, I was the CFO of Managed Services, which is more a service-oriented model. It was a new type of business model which was coming up. Uh, it was $2.5 billion approximately and running at a loss of um, significant losses, I would say. And um, uh, my biggest aha moment was how we were trying to run behind um, our customers and just trying to get these big long-term commitments, which was... Uh, based on a service model, but we used, uh, but since we were uh, a delivery company, uh, an equipment, a product delivery company, we were using the the terms and conditions and the business model simulations for an equipment delivery and trying to win service contracts, which are completely different. So in an equipment delivery, to, to bring it more concretely, in an equipment delivery, your revenues are fixed. Your costs are fixed, and depending on how you negotiate, you deliver and you close the deal. In a service delivery, your revenues are variable, your costs are fixed, and your profit is variable. So these were two complete different business models. And when I took over this newly formed business, which was running in losses, that my biggest aha moment was how how are we running behind just to capture the business with a business model which or knowledge of a business model or competencies and skill sets of a business model which is completely different. And we don't realize it until we hit the loss. So that was probably my next big, big aha moment. But innovation management is the more recent one, I would say. Wanted to talk a little bit about the, the current workforce you have and would your, um, would this workforce be smaller or larger than uh, industry averages? Um, I mean, I can tell you we have about uh, 3,000 employees worldwide. So, um, I mean, depending on the industry average, which you are, uh, if you talk about our medical device business, uh, we are we are quite um, on on the right on the right side of efficiency, I would say. Yeah. And are there are there metrics you pay attention to as far as uh, you know the headcount and what have you uh, when it comes to your workforce? Uh, yes, absolutely. We do pay a lot of attention to the headcount. In fact, uh, but we also are very pragmatic. So we normally do not look at only the headcount in its own. We, we try to calculate uh, productivity per headcount. And that is the key driver, whether it's sales productivity per headcount or uh, profit per headcount. Those are the key drivers that we have. So if the business is growing, then you, of course, we, we, we ramp up. But if the business needs a, a little bit of um, adjustments, then we can also do the adjustments, but more in a pragmatic and a, and, and a long-term way, yeah? because our 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 business models normally, our product uh, roadmaps are normally in the range of three to five years. So we have to have that a bit of long-term view rather than just one fiscal year. Yeah? 
headcount productivity is that and, and have you begun to measure uh, say employee engagement or or some of these other uh, related areas absolutely since um, since I think uh, more than a decade we've had this employee engagement surveys and these are global surveys in Siemens worldwide and and most uh, recently we've had one so we compare it to the previous one whether we have improved in some areas or we have we need more improvement in other areas. So this is, this is a very, really an excellent opportunity for our, for our employees to give us feedback. Yeah. And, and then we take corrective actions as, as needed. Yeah. Just as far as helping the organization forecast and look forward, um, over the last, uh, well, since your tour of duty, I guess, and, and at the molecular imaging organization, have you, uh, you know, deployed new technologies? Have you adopted uh, new best practices as far as how to how to forecast more effectively? Um, I think forecasting depends on the business model. As I said, we are uh, uh, we are in a niche market and a small market, and and we uh, you know the number of shipments that we do every year, we can very well track and count them, or number of orders that we win, yeah, or the number of orders to be won in the market is also known to us. So it's a fairly um, straight process, uh, but what, as always, uh, what always helps us is improved communication between the regions and the global businesses, the, uh, the um, uh, business division. So we have to have a very um, um, efficient communication flow between the countries or the regions and the business division. And I think that that there that is where we have focused. We have uh, regular calls. We have regular interactions where we talk a lot about um, uh, the visit market visibility. And 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 the other factor is that this is not just uh, viewed as a finance process. Yes, we facilitate it. Yes, we own it. But the input also comes from the sales colleagues. So it's a joint effort. And in these calls that we have monthly to review what the forecast would be, there's a very active engagement and participation from the uh, from the technical or commercial counterparts or the business managers as well. Yeah. We now come to uh, the mentoring round where we ask you several quick questions designed to uh, allow you to offer advice to aspiring finance leaders. Have you had a mentor, Nitin, or mentors during the course of your career? No, absolutely. I, I love to be engaged with uh, with uh, with professionals who, who whom I can I can uh, relate to I can learn a lot from them they can learn a lot from me I have had great mentors during my career and I have learned from each and every one of them I continue to do so and um, I I normally don't look back too much and and think about oh what would have happened had I known that uh, before um, it's just you know I learn with every experience as I go along. Is there a personal habit that you believe has uh, contributed to your professional success? Um, I I try to connect the dots, and and it's um, uh, I try to connect the dots, understand the story behind the numbers. So I would like to understand. I have the habit of understanding um, what is it that drives the numbers the way they are. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Um, uh, to be honest, I have never read a financial specific book. But what I 
really recommend is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covoy. And and the reason is um, there was a time in my career when I was just starting up and one of those key milestones that I talked about at the very early stage of our conversation um, where I was reading this book. This, um, uh, my uncle had g- gifted me this book and I was reading the book and if you just read along by the end you would have um, a lot of understanding about yourself. So I, by end of that book, and um, I had a very clear idea what I want to be. I was probably 23 years old at that time, 24, 25 years old. Um, and having read that book, I had a clear idea what I wanted to be at the age of 40. And and that acted as a sort of guide uh, for myself during the uh, during my career. I mean, it does not have to be written in stone or in blood, actually, but at least you have a sense of direction where you want your career to go. And I think it's absolutely important for each professional to have a sense of direction um, over the next 10 to, as I said, it need not be very detailed planned out, but at least a sense of direction should be there. And I think the next three to five years should be planned out fairly um accurately, which should obviously lead in the same sense of direction. So yeah, I think sense of direction is absolutely a must, but this book helps you get that. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? We are in the phase of um, defining the budget for next year, and, 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 and this is also what I've been thinking about. I think one of the biggest priorities that I have, one of the first priorities which I have had in this year and I will continue to have this year is to uh, allocate the capital for right level of innovations. Capital allocation and protecting the investments is my next, um, uh, it continues to be my priority over the next year as well. Nitin Gupta, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and it was a pleasure talking to you, Jack. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. 
Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.